one. What is up, everyone? It is podcast episode time. It's October. We got Cujo on deck. Stephen King's Cujo adapted in 1983. We have a very special guest returning to the podcast for the first time in a long time, as I have been a consummate uh, invader of Ready to Retro. Max is with us on this early Saturday morning for for him. Uh, we figured it was time as he he gets me late nights due to our New York versus Cali um, time period or time time zones. We got Max and early we got morning Max from ready to retro Max. What is up? Hey, how's it going, everybody? It is early here, early for a Saturday, and it's been a while, sure. Jesse, since I've been on this podcast. Yeah, you uh ready to retro is a much more consistent podcast uh and you guys always have great themed months great themed uh ideas to podcast on i've been a part of the zoo crew me and jasmine are appearing on several episodes of well, homeward but like that's what i love about your podcast too before we dive into cujo like is i can go if someone listens to this podcast and they're just like that mutoid talked about Homeward Bound on another podcast. Like, what is going on? But that's what I love about you. You guys could do a spooky September and cover Children of the Corn. And then, you know, you could hear the same people. You know, you, you could talk about Children of the Corn. You could talk about Homeward Bound. I mean, we can, too. Like, obviously, I can, too, because I'm just a film fan in general, as are you. But I love the how wide Ready to Retro can spew be it comic book movies to horror movies to comedies to to classic you know growing up in the 90s movies i I love how ready to retro just has wide a wide wingspan i appreciate it man yeah you and my wife jasmine are part of the zoo crew on (laughs) ready to retro so we've covered like you guys covered free willy and homeward bound so a lot of those animal movies but yeah i mean as far as Ready to Retro goes, we're just an open net, I guess. I mean, we just have a large net, you know, and we For just sure. throw it out there. And I think part of growing up in the 80s and 90s and specifically being a millennial, I think you were exposed to a lot of different things. And, you know, each kind of era, you know, you could be really into Pokemon. You could be really into sports um you know i'm looking at my game room right now and it's just like there's a combination of of sports and and video games and movies and comic books and board games and you know so i think it's just the eclectic era of the 90s and you know yeah everybody was like in a trend full of trends more i think there was yeah. it was it was a lot yeah. more like you followed trends. I don't know. Yeah, you can be creative, but really what pop culture dictated, I think most people just followed, you know? The big difference uh, is those trends have stuck. And now you may have gotten out of it, say Power Ranger or say, say Ninja Turtles. Right. And Ninja, Ninja, Tur- Ninja Turtles and then Power Rangers comes out. Then maybe you're not so much into Ninja Turtles, especially because the content was winded down for a little bit. Then you're into Power Rangers right. and then say, you know, Pokemon becomes super popular in the mid to late 90s, 96, 97. Then you're on that train. And then it was a those all those things from the 90s. And when we grew up, I think that those trends have stuck. Obviously, Pokemon has obviously Power Rangers has. Right. Ninja Turtles right. is probably is most more relevant now than it's been in you know 30 years as far as like popularity mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that with the new movie. Uh and obviously, like being able to meet people like you that like we could talk about Mighty Ducks, Halloween three or, or Halloween four, uh, Free Willy or three <laughs> ch- or three Children of the Corn. Like, I think a lot of those things in the 90s we discovered. Yeah, we were all over the place and eclectic, but a lot of those things have stuck with us. And another thing, totally trans- transitioning. The 90s was huge for video rentals. And mm-hmm. a movie that was always on the shelf at any video store that I went into, 
But I don't think I necessarily ever rented because it was always on television for whatever reason was Cujo. Now, the 80s were the golden era, of of course, with Stephen King writing and publishing his first novel, Carrie, in 1974, I think it was. Um, After he starts pumping all these these, uh, works, these novels out from the mid-70s into the early 80s, once their 80s come, those stories start getting adapted. We start getting Stephen King adaptation films something we have covered a lot. We've covered a lot of Stephen King on this podcast, just covered children of the corn on ready to retro. Check that episode out. Um, yep. that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, all of his movies start started getting, or all of his, uh, ideas and his novels started to just start attracting, attracting, uh, you know, people to want to adapt those works into film. Now, Cujo is one of the earlier films. You know, Carrie came out in 76, I think. The movie came out in 76. And then uh, in 83, we get um, we get Christine, but we also get Cujo. Now, Cujo is an interesting story because it's not necessary. It's not paranormal. There's no mm-hmm. and even, you know, I, I rewatched it last night. I wasn't even going to watch it because I just watched the movie so much. Uh, I I didn't feel I needed to watch it, but I'm glad I did rewatch it because it's been a couple of years. Um, mm. What was your first introduction to Cujo, the film? Yeah, so uh, Cujo is not one that was in my regular rotation as an adult or growing up. I know I've seen it, but I'm trying to think. Maybe I just saw some clip. Like, I, I was trying to remember. I don't know if I've seen the whole movie from beginning to end. Maybe I saw... Because I, I, I know I've seen it, but I don't remember it. So right. I just remember, like, growing up as a kid and, uh, you know, my mom's uh, Mexican-American. So she would call any dog that was aggressive Cujo. So I thought that that was just the Spanish name for or the span i'm sorry the spanish word for an aggressive dog because she would call like you know oh cujo cujo be careful for cujo you know and i was just like i thought that was the spanish word for amazing it. so yeah well, that's what i was like a little kid so and then um you know so i think that was you know in our family that was kind of uh kind of a colloquial no no uh uh that that's not the word um, but that was like our, our vernacular in our um, right, yes, in in our family. So anytime our you know family dog would get going crazy or a little weird or whatever, we were like, oh, he's going cujo on us, you know. So, um, so yeah, when I watched it for this recording for this episode, it was really like the first time I've watched it. Like I totally forgot the whole family dynamics and the yeah. affair and all that. Like I don't I didn't remember that. Um and and really I just remember, you know, a mom being trapped in a car with a kid. So yeah. Yeah, that that I mean, if someone hasn't seen the movie in a while, no offense to the story or no offense to the the screenplay for the film. In the it, when you read the book, yes, that that's kind of a little bit more. It sticks with you a little bit more because you're reading it and you're consuming it in a different manner than watching it. But anybody that says Cujo, they don't think about the affair, where the which leads to the whole kind of. I don't know if it leads to him leaving. He probably would have left because of the failing commercial anyway. But to, right. to give a, a brief uh, insight, if you haven't seen Cujo, it's been it's been forty years this year so you need to get on it and watch it Crazy. but but regardless um yes d wallace who's the the one of probably i'll say two or three iconic moms of all time oh yeah mary oh, ellen yeah. you got mary ellen trainer and then you got d wallace those are my two top moms all time we got mary ellen trainer mom and monster squad mom and goonies uh she was a mom and something else too. Those are the two that I remember. Uh, D. Wallace, Mom and ET, Mom and Cujo. I mean, you just, they're right there. Is four crazy top tier moms ever in Filmland. But to to give a brief, would synopsis, you put Diane Weist on that one in that list? 
I mean, you have to just because Lost Boys is the greatest right? film that's ever, <laughs> ever been crafted by humans. When 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 the post-apocalyptic times come, when the new thermonuclear fallout comes, as long as someone has like a VHS or DVD copy of Lost Boys kicking around, I think culture will survive and we'll be okay. We'll be able to rebuild on the backs yeah. of the Warner Brothers cheap DVD of Lost Boys. Well, she was also the the mom in Scissorhands, right? Edward Scissorhands. So she was, that yes, too. that's right. Look at that, that six. Counts. Right so there. It's, not, it's not just it's not just Lost Boys. Right there, three. Those are six movies. Two movies. That's all you need to qualify for a top mom in Filmland are two goaded movies. And then you're you're in the conversation. Yep. Um, there you go. But yeah, the husband, the husband plays. Uh, you know, he's a he's an ad salesman for a cereal company and he, the ads failing and the in the book. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but the guy who plays um, the affair E or the yeah. no, the affair er that is sleeping as the like the friend or whatever. He is the D. douchebag. He was D. Wallace's actual husband. Yeah, I, I read that. Yeah. Chris Stone. He unfortunately died. I got some trivia for you. I like sharing these things because they're fun. Um, they met like before the howling and were married mm. before the howling and they were both in the howling together. Um, then did this and I don't, I don't know if they crossed over much after that, but they had a daughter. And you've seen the Frighteners with Michael J. Fox, directed by Peter uh-huh. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. So she was filming that in New Zealand as that's the homestead okay. of Peter Jackson. So unfortunately, Chris Stone right. died uh, of a heart attack while she was over there filming. Jeez. So Jeez. she had to fly back and obviously tend to her daughter and take care of, you know, what comes with losing your, your husband. Um, So she had to, she personally like could not afford to fly back and forth. So the studio said, Hey, you know, you can pay us back. We'll cover, you know, we'll cover whatever expenses and you could pay us back. And she's just like, well, I can't pay you back like all one lump sum. Like I got to like I'll have to make payments. And then the studio's like, OK, so she had to fly. You can imagine taking a a plane or, and or jet uh, from the United States to New Zealand two or three times over the course of like a month or two. It adds up, especially when you get into a private jet. So after it's like the, 15 hours, it's, it's like 15 hours of travel there, too. It's like, yeah, not it's, a yeah, it's short not flight. It's not like flying to Atlanta from New York. Um, no. And uh, she went to go make her first payment after the film had wrapped. And Peter Jackson had covered all the expenses. He did not want her to have to spend any money on any of that travel. That, oh, wow. That happened. And she told that story recently on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. And. That was the first time I had heard it. And I think it's kind of the first time she'd ever mentioned it. Um, And that movie was in 96. So or filmed in 95. But I thought that that was, you know, it adds and hearing her tell that story and just like as an ailing mother, it kind of all aligns with the work that she's done. Um, But I thought that that was interesting factoid for anybody that's a D Wallace fan should know. Check out that episode of Michael Rosenbaum's podcast where she uh, she talks about that. Obviously, a very a very hard uh, time for her. But regardless, Chris Stone um, wasn't in much that I recognize him from other than Mm -hmm. an episode of MacGyver. um, And of course, the howling and Cujo. So, and I think was he in alone in the dark, something like that. But regardless, um, you know, he plays the, the guy that's sleeping with D Wallace's character. She's cheating on her husband. The husband pretty much like finds out like, you know, he it doesn't you know, he's a smart guy. He do, it doesn't take him much to figure out like when he's over there, when he comes home one day that like, OK, yeah, there's some weirdness going on between those two. And they were probably arguing about. Something. I don't understand why when he finds out he doesn't do anything like the dude is still leaving the house. You know what I mean? Like very I'll tell you what, very, <laughs> a very reserved gentleman for what could have how that could have went down, especially when the guy's right in the room with you. But right, like it's going down if I'm finding that like and he was just like, yes or no. She says yes. And he kind of just like, hmm, okay. (laughs) Now, had he walked in that room 15 to 20 seconds earlier, 
that maybe oh, yeah. that might have been a different that might have been a different outcome. Yeah, because the dude's almost like borderline. You know, looks like he's about to do some things without consent. We'll say for sure. And unfortunately for her husband, he didn't look like he would be able to hold up very well against Chris Stone's character. Uh, I mean, mustaches ultimate automatically put 10 pounds of muscle on you. I don't know if anybody knew that. And Ma- Max right. is rocking a, a mustache right now. So he definitely, or is that, I guess it's a goatee, isn't it? I I, I can't grow uh, a full beard. So yeah, I have a mustache and a, and a goatee. That's what it's I a, got. It's a separated mustache goatee. I like it. It looks good. Um, But regardless of facial hair, it's, uh you know, she pretty, this, all these events though, lead to him leaving he probably would have left for his ad sale thing. But if she would have said like, Hey, even though she was cheating, she was cheating. She could have been like, Hey, I really want to, you know, even if she didn't want to tell him (laughs) that she was cheating, she could have been like, Hey, things are not right with us. Let's make it right. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe it would have tugged on his heartstrings to say F this failing serial ad. I'll stay home or whatever. But anyway, all that leads to him leaving and her having to take the car to the local mechanic. Well, the, you know, when I say local mechanic, the guy just works out of his house. That's like some, that's some Canastota New York shit where the guy down the road is your best option to fix your car. Um, so she brings the car over there. Well, anyway, the film opens with Cujo chasing a rabbit and getting bit by yeah. a rabid bat in a, in a in a rabbit hole and this isn't the the dog is the most sympathetic character in the story is it not it's got to be the poor dog I would, the poor dog yeah that's true the dog or or maybe the kid but the kid's a he's a little brat at times so i don't know yeah maybe 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 the the kid who owns cujo i feel bad for that kid Billy Jacoby, he was in just one of the guys as the brother. Uh, a, 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 an appearance that he doesn't get a lot of, I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Uh, but yeah, he was in just one of the guys and he was in a few other things. But yeah, that's Billy Jacoby, um, one of the Jacoby brothers. But um, yeah, very sympathetic. And when you see them first go over to that mechanic's house before Cujo is, before the rabies have affected Cujo, you know, he tells Tad uh, D. Wallace's uh, son, like, hey, you know, you can pet Cujo. Cujo is just a big loving guy. He's just a, he's a right. lovable guy. He's just licking licking Tad's face. And like, he's a big galoot. And <laughs> he's the most sympathetic character. He's just a loving dog. And he gets bit by some fucked up rabid bat in a rabbit hole. And now he's like, and they did wh- whoever. I mean. Obviously, it's in the book too. Like they explain kind of the effects of rabies, as far as like what emotion, for lack of a better word, emotions and and things that are happening with a rabid animal. Um, that's what happens when he hears his owner like using like the the welder, or the saw, and it's making that noise. When something gets rabies and or even a human, like noises, you're very irritable. Like you're very sensitive. Like all your senses are very like. Right very like uh would affected by things so like loud noises and Cujo's like obviously like irritated he's whining so and it's a terrible <laughs> disease to get I mean Cujo I feel so he just bad. wants to chill Cujo just wants to chill Cujo's just know? trying to run around on his mechanic fucking owner's like lawn chase a rabbit or two yeah. it it could be it, it's very sad and the dogs are the most Cujo's the most sympathetic character it it reminds me because because I work with with kids and, and youth. It reminds me of when there's uh, people who are on the spectrum and they tend to have right. you know um, sensitivity to um, loud noises. Um, their sensories, their sensories are heightened. Yes, right, yes. that's what I want to say. I'm still waking up, so their sensories are are, are st- like just heightened and. Um, even like, you know, it, cause it's, it's becoming more and more common now, or at least not common, at least we're more aware of it, I should say. Right. So like, you know, anytime there's like a large group of you that I have and, you know, something exciting happens. I, I, I have one student in my group right now. 
Um, it, even if everyone's like cheering, she, you know, it's a sharp reaction where she has to cover her ears right. and she just kind of gets in a fetal position. She crouches down. So, um, you know, it, that's what it reminded me of. I was like, man, this, this dog just wants to chill. He, he hates <laughs> the telephone. Like it's just ringing and ringing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's the eighties. So we don't have silent mode back then. Um, uh, so, you know, and then anything's a threat. So, uh, dog is crazy though. And, it, and it's interesting oh, yeah. that it's a St. Bernard, you know what I mean? Right. Like that had to have been intentional because St. Bernard's are not known to be, uh, very vicious, but they are big. Right. So like if it was a Rottweiler or like a pit bull, they have more of a reputation of being a badass mean dog. Yeah. Sometimes. So maybe maybe that was some of the things that uh, Stephen King was working with was like, hey, even like the sweetest things or things that are known to be safe uh, can end up having a vicious or a violent, you know, streak to them. Yeah. Well, I think they they say it in the in the in the novel too that like Cujo is a very like normal loving kind of farm dog. Now with that. I th- and they play that, you know, in the film too, where like he's licking Tad's face, and like Billy Jacoby's character right. says, "No, he's a he's a loving dog." But when that loving dog gets rabies, and it has, you know, in the book he was two hundred pounds. I mean, and a Saint Bernard could definitely get near two hundred pounds or over. Yeah. Um I had a boss when I landscaped. He had a a mastiff, and that thing weighed two hundred and thirty pounds. Wow. It's uh, mastiffs are big. Like its paw was like the size of my hand. Like his paw, yeah, would almost be equal to my, where my fingertips to bottom of my palm were. Like it was a, it's a, a mastiffs are big dogs. Um, but yeah, be, having the size of a Saint Bernard and like painting the picture of this Saint Bernard being a little more docile, calm, lovable, friendly. When you get rabies and you're 200 pounds, you're able to ram your head into a god side of a goddamn Ford Pinto, with <laughs> like you're like you're a goddamn mountain goat, um, right? But, so all this leads to her having to bring the car to get fixed because he didn't, you know, he his head's been everywhere and he's leaving to go on this, you know, to restructure this ad campaign to try to save this failing serial ad, um. So he doesn't have time to bring the car to get fixed. He doesn't know where their situation is going to land. She then brings the car over to the farm. You know, at right. this point, at this point, Cujo has made his rounds around, killed his owner's buddy, came into his house, ripped his throat out. Then the the owner then comes into his house. He gets tore up by his own, yep. by his own boy, Cujo. Also, sidebar. I I will never have children, and and this is agreed upon with my girlfriend. But we I did say long ago, all all the uh, the friends of Heart Guy Media can vouch. I said if I ever have a kid, his name will be Cujo, because no one <laughs> is bullying Cujo in high school. <laughs> middle school, man. Middle school is the age where they get bullied. That's but if that's you it. if yeah, you make yeah. sure you put some weights in his hand. And be yeah, like, oh, oh my god, did you hear what happened to Mark? Mark said something to Cujo, and Cujo fucked him up. Right. Right. You don't fuck right. with someone named Cujo. A bo- like a, a human named no. Cujo. That's hard as shit. Um but, I always thought, but anyway, another sidebar. Let's get into it. So when I lived in the heart of Syracuse, my girlfriend and I were walking out of our apartment one day. And this is Syracuse is, you know, it isn't like there's outskirts of Syracuse, like sub communities, sub suburban stuff. And you go out a little further, you get a little more rural and stuff like that. But Syracuse is a city. It is a decent sized city. Um, There was a, uh, a station wagon with its top, the back end up the glass up. And there was a St. Bernard that was dirty and huge mm. driving around the neighborhood. And his head was sticking out of the back of the station wagon Barking the loudest bark I've ever seen in at like five <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. And me and her look at each other. She's oh, like, man. oh, my God, it's fucking Cujo. 
And literally, <laughs> I'd never seen that happen before. And I lived in in Tip Hill for a couple of years at that point. And then every couple of weeks, they would drive by like right as the sun was setting. And that dog would be in the back of the station wagon with the back of the station wagon up. And he was just barking his ass off. And it was it was just hilarious because it was so funny to see in the heart of Syracuse seeing that happen. You can imagine that happening in like a, a farm road or something, but it's happening in the heart of Syracuse was hilarious to see this dog That's because crazy. it wasn't, wasn't like he was just like mildly barking. It was in a constant, like loud, aggressive, crazy cinematic Cujo bark. And I, it was a that, deep bark, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it was, it's something I will cherish forever. Just being able to witness that like seven or eight times <laughs> in the course of like a season. Um, That's funny. Uh, and I got a rabid animal attack story that happened personally too, uh, that I'm going to share in a little bit. Um, okay. But getting, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> getting into the film. Uh, yeah. Sh- sh- Cujo is th- now taking out his owner's friend, the owner and D Wallace and her son Tad are now at the residence trying to go get their car fixed. Cujo is in full rabid mode. His eyes got gunk all over him. He's got he's blood laden from killing two two full grown men. So yep. he's like he's on it's full gross. he's full rabid. Yep. And he attack I mean it's you know, this goes on for the course of, I think, three days, I think, technically, is what hap- is it go- happens for over the course of three days, I think, in the novel. Mm. Um, and Cujo just will not let them out of the car. He's br- He ends up breaking one of the windows. Anytime that they try to, you know, the phone rings, he runs away. They try to maybe escape. It doesn't work. D. Wallace ends up getting out, not seeing that Cujo is laying on the other side of the car. She he, he then attacks her while he's in the car. Tad is having like heat stroke convulsions and dehydration. And when I was a kid, yeah. when I was a kid, I had asthma. So I thought he was just having an asthma attack. That's what I okay. drew a conclusion. Yeah. But he was yeah. having like heat stroke seizures and shit. Like, yeah, because it was like in the 90s, right? Like it, it's supposed to be set in the summer. And, um, you know, there's no water. It's freaking hot. I mean, when you're in a car during the summer, dude, it's just way hotter than it is outside. Even you know, even when it's like, not even crazy, like if it's 82, 83 degrees and you don't have right. air conditioning on, you're sitting in a car, it can get blistering quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially and I thought those... the makeup effects were so great. Like oh, you like amazing. You know, uh, Tad, Tad, he was just like he looked almost um like ghoulish he was so white and yeah and and blue at some points and uh d wallace's makeup was just the, like all the sweat and stuff and i just thought it was really really well done the purple blackish bags under both yeah. their eyes because they're just exhausted because you i mean you're not really getting the greatest uh sleep when there's a rabid dog trying to get into your car and you're stuck in a hot car on three summer days yeah i thought the makeup was like better than it should have been you know what i mean like you're not right, expecting right. it noticeable to be like for the, something yeah. that wasn't supposed to be like cuts and gashes and crazy gore and stuff like that yeah under understated as far as like probably the amount and stuff that they use but all the little subtle stuff they use for makeup it really like connected and made it feel real for sure and it's uh you, you know a D Wallace then opens the door. She gets full on attacked and bitten by rabbit Cujo leg tore. That's probably up. the hardest scene to watch is right. Is, it's is, is that one. You know, what's yeah. dude, you know, what's the, the, the eeriest scene ever is cause she goes, they go through all this and, and, uh, uh, kind of going through what, what happens real quick as they, you know, the dude, the Chris stones character, the, uh, the affair, um, I don't even know if that's proper terminology, but I think it sounds good. A fair, a fair E. Um, <laughs> yeah. But regardless, it's, uh, you know, he goes, he goes because he hasn't seen D. Wallace's character in a few days. He goes to their house and he's still like pissed off that like they're not, you know, 
she doesn't want to be with him or whatever. He tears the house up. The husband comes down, comes home because he can't get a hold of his wife. Right. And sees that his house is tore up. He knows that it's uh, Chris Stone's character. And uh, they put a, you know, APB out on him and pretty much said like, hey, he just says he, you know, he they weren't home. Where's the car? Oh, well, she was going to get it fixed at Clamber's mechanic or whatever. They send a deputy over there. The craziest scene, dude. It's so like to me, it's the most brutal scene. And it's so like subtle is when that the deputy shows up and the dog attacks him and you see the dog attacking him and and like him fighting him off. But then that instance where D Wallace is in the car and they pan to like Cujo still attacking him with like no sound because you don't see hear the sound. You just see it. See Cujo still attacking him. And there's mm. no sound. You just see him struggling on the ground with Cujo. That's the creepiest and most like real terrifying life scene, like in the movie for me. That one's okay. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I mean, that deputy, he's he sucks. Like it feels like that whole police department. I know it's a small terrible. town, but it's like you <laughs> Ter- know, terrible, terrible. <laughs> Where's like, your gun, bro? Where's your gun? Right. No, and he just drops it. You know, yeah. and and Vic, dropped- who's uh. <laughs> who's the dad and, and the husband um, was like, Hey, you haven't heard back from your deputy. Um, <laughs> like what? Like he, and he's like doing the police work. He's like, isn't that weird? Like forget you guys. I'm going to go find my family, you yeah. know, um, which is probably, you know, probably accurate because sometimes man, you call the police or show up an hour later. You're like, well, yeah, no the situation's over now. Yeah. <laughs> Great job. Um, I'll but, take a police report. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> you know, jeez. Yeah. So what happened? Well, I was yeah, I was eaten by half eaten by a rabid dog. <laughs> Great work. Um, <laughs> but she ends up, you know, the story ends up ending on a positive note, which the novel does not. The oh really? I I'm not familiar with the novel at all. So uh, I highly so there's me. no ch- there's no chapters to the novel either. He took all the he wrote it with chapters, but then he took them out because he said he thinks it was much more chaotic to not have chapters and not know, you know, if a chapter ends like if you're towards like the if you're towards like the end of a book and like something crazy just happened, you're awaiting some kind of resolution and you think there's probably going to be something either crazy or comforting that happens. And he okay. said he Stephen King said he took the chapters out because he wanted it to be chaotic and for you to not know what was really, truly going to happen next. Interesting. OK. And D. Wallace is the one that pushed. They were going to film it true to the novel, which Stephen King, whenever he they got the rights to adapt his films. I think there was a deal with Doubleday because I think he finished his Doubleday contract right around this time. Because I think if I could be completely wrong, but I want to say Doubleday, Pet Cemetery, the release of Pet Cemetery, the book might have been one of the last, might have been the last Doubleday uh, publishing novel, uh, published novels that was put out for Stephen King. I could be wrong. I think yeah. I'm right. So this movie comes, prob- was made in 82, came out in 83. So this is, he's still with Doubleday. And I know. I know for his adaptations, most of the time, anybody that was adapting his work wanted to have his approval because if Stephen King, if you're adapting his film, you don't want Stephen King to be like, this is garbage. No, don't go see it. Well, it worked out for The Shining, but. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Kubrick. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, but Kubrick also, like, they pretty much, like, lied to Stephen King and said all this stuff, and then pretty much he did his own thing, which, to a degree, I kind of respect, but I would never do that to Stephen King, but I'm also not a f- crazy, famous, awesome director like Kubrick. So right. regardless, um, the, D Wallace pushed in the moot, in the moot, in the, in the novel, excuse me, uh, Tad dies of heat stroke and dehydration. Whoa. Spoiler. Spoiler. Whoa. Why does Stephen King hate little kids? <laughs> like, like, geez, I know he was a dad and stuff, but. Every freaking book, he's killing kids off, man. He said, he says, 
because he's been asked about that before. And he said that the reason is once he had a kid, he truly, he said, I truly felt, he said something to the effect of, I truly felt like vulnerable in the sense of if something happens to my kid, I will have lost everything. Like this is my sole purpose for, so how do you tap into the craziest uh, recesses of horror in one's mind? Take away everything that they have and everything that they love. It'll drive you to madness. That's the biggest fear, you know, is losing your kid. So whether it's a semi truck or a dog with rabies or a, you know, killer clown, it's losing your child is the biggest fear. Mm, For sure. I like that. Okay, I get it. I get it. Uh so yeah, in the book, Tad dies of heat stroke and dehydration. So Jeez. not a happy ending. It's a terrible ending. Not so D Wallace being, you know, D Wallace, she convinced the filmmakers that you, you can't end a movie like this. Like a novel's different. A novel's much more personal. Like you can you can read that and like but that's for a single person reading it. And if you didn't like the ending, that's fine. You already, you know, it it is what it is. But with a movie, you can't end with that bleakness. And a lot of films refuse to end with that bleakness because I, I don't know if I don't know what the psychology is of it, where people wouldn't like the mass audiences. Obviously, you want to see a happy ending. It's what people want in film and anything. But. She pushed for it, and Stephen King says it was one of the best decisions, and he's so glad that they listened to D. Wallace because he couldn't imagine the movie ending the way the book did. Right. Um, Can we talk about the ending, though? Because, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, the shoot. very last shot, right? Um, Vic and um, what's her name? Um, Donna, right? Vic and yep. Donna are about to, to embrace... And it just stops, right? Like you yep. don't actually see them embrace. It was like such a tease because so, ended you know, with a little bleakness. A yeah, I was, I was like, well, you know, what does Vic be like? You know, <laughs> you know, does he get violent? Does he yell at her? Like, <laughs> you know, we don't know. We we assume they they're gonna go embrace, but we don't right. really know. But that's crazy, dude. I didn't know that Tad died. It, yeah. it, that part is intense. Very intense. Like when his eyes are rolling in the back of his head, like he's the Undertaker. Like, yeah, and he's yeah. just he, like great oh. acting by that kid. Fantastic! Holy, holy shit! Fantastic! Two of and, the fourth. Yeah, I, I think him just screaming, and I also love that scene where he goes, "I want my daddy. I want my daddy." And uh, D. Wallace, you know, uh, Donna. That's the character. She just. She yells and she's like, all right, get your dad. Like how, how authentic is that? Right. You know, so like good. It, in, in frustration, it's, it's like, Hey, I don't want to be around your dad. She's feeling the guilt. She's probably feeling a lot of guilt of putting her son in that situation. Right. She's scared. She's angry. And you know, the kid is, you know, freaking out. And she just, that's a really authentic reaction to her just yelling at him, you know, out of fear and sure. out of um, frustration. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. And I, that taps into, you know, that is what dry, which is funny too, because like I said, I think people that haven't seen the movie in a while, they don't think about the affair aspect, but that plays heavy on the relationship between Donna and Tad in the car, because Donna is like has some self-loathing going on because the only thing that can comfort Tad aside from his dad reading the, you know, the monster getaway shit that he writes down for his son, the only thing that can comfort his son is the one thing that she may have destroyed and that's her relationship with her husband. That's so, true, huh? So, you know, what she's literally she's confronted with it right there like my son, my my son's father who I have cheated on and I've betrayed and who I don't think I'll ever, you know, we may never be together again. The only thing that will comfort my son right now, I've in some ways taken away, at least in this moment for this instance where we're stuck in this car that we otherwise wouldn't be stuck in, you know, if she has to face it right there in more ways than, you know, a character or a person in that moment would ever think they would have to face, you know, their, the consequences of their actions of cheating. 
Right. I wonder, like, as the audience, are you supposed to root for Donna? You know, like, it's kind of a, it's a conflict, right? Because, like, not that you want her to be, you don't want her to, to be, you know, killed by this dog. You don't want her to be ripped to shreds. But at the same time, you're like, dude, like you're a problematic character to root for. Right. Um, and, and she's, she, it, it's interesting because the way that it's done, and I don't know how the novel is, but at least the way that the movie's done is she's not sympathetic, you know, but she's also not problematic. So she's not hard to root for, you know, she's not like a, you know, she's not being super aggressive towards a kid. Right. You kind of root for her, but you're like, man, like, you want to know, know what, though? <laughs> what? what I always appreciated about Stephen King, and he does it in several ways in all of his works, and it translates to film if they do it right. Now, the only missed mark I think Pet Cemetery has, the film, because I think it's a perfect film, the only missed We're mark... talking about the original, right? <laughs> yes, yes. About yes. the remake. <laughs> so what I think that they didn't capture, and Stephen King, it you know he he wrote like the screenplay for pet cemetery the movie right so it's um they in the mo- in the novel lewis is very like he's kind of irritated by ellie his daughter whenever right. she whines about something like he's very irritated with her and like he makes comments in the novel where he's just like Oh, get away from me. You're so like type thing. Right. Not not exactly that, but like he has those things where like, oh, when she fell on the swing, like he's like, I can tell she's acting it up like she isn't right. really hurt. Like you know I've actually I mean? listened to the audio uh, yeah. of this novel, so I'm familiar with this novel. Yeah, definitely. With Michael C. Hall narrating. Did you listen to that one? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that though. He did so a good job for that. Yeah. So, um, good. but yes, uh, he does that though, I, and I like that. That's what he did with Donna's character in the novel, and it translates to the film. Is you make people real, like people in most of the time in movies. Yes, they're perf. There's an I poor this poor woman. She's a great mother, and she's getting attacked. I like that he brings that realism. Like you can still be a sympathetic mother that's being attacked by a rabid dog, but you can still have your humanistic flaws of being a cheater as well and that's what tears people and that's what makes riveting storytelling is making people real and authentic like that it's true because it no one is really like black and white as far as their personalities right like i've had this thought it's like you know how everyone says like everyone's a their own hero in their own movie or whatever right but i always thought to myself who are you a villain to other people's, you know, movie or story? Right. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 100%. You're, like, like there's villains in, you know, so you might, you might be a hero to somebody, but you also might be a villain to somebody. 100%. Based off of I think about that too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, who, the, who are you the antagonist to? You know what I mean? Like, for sure. And you're, you're watching this movie you're or reading the novel you got donna and ultimately she's a good mom i mean to she's like going to bat right um i always think like hey at at some point why didn't she start ripping up the car in the inside there's pieces of metal in there especially in the 80s like i'm at at some point i'm 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 gonna fight you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm gonna fight back but um yeah, I, I just felt like, man, this movie was was better than I thought it should have been. And and I don't mean that like but it really there's there's not much to the story, right? And and right. it really is the story is a revolve around one situation and it's like it's an hour and a half movie, it's ninety minutes, and that part's really not into it until like maybe thirty or forty minutes left of the movie. So right. um yeah, and there's really not a lot. I could see in the novel that there's more of a, a nuance and it's, you know, this is a novel form. So the fact that this movie, the fact that we're talking about it 40 years after, it just shows the execution because this movie could have been really boring and just really like, meh, you know, but it, it actually 
it's gripping, especially, you know. Yeah, um, it, it is. It's, you feel like you're in the car, which I think is, yeah. is, 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 is awesome. And it's great filmmaking when you feel like you're trapped with the mom and, and kid. Yeah, when you can when you can capture that element of putting you in that scene or in that enclosed space, that that's when you know you've accomplished your goal. I think, and uh, I guess uh, bef- before uh, before we get to you do you guys do all ratings on your podcast? We'll do them sometimes. Usually, when we'll, we'll do a movie, we'll we'll say it. So we'll 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 get to that. But I'll tell my rabid animal story real quick. So where I grew up, I grew up a little outside of a little suburbal town in Canastota, half of it was like suburbs. Half of it was like rural and farmland and onion fields and stuff like that. But we're only 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes from Syracuse. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like we were, I'm like a country bumpkin necessarily. I grew up in the woods, but because I grew up on the further end uh, of ruralness, total woods. But anyway, uh, we had, stray cat started coming around and it was fine and ended up getting pregnant however and we had a bunch of kittens so because we had two crazy dogs we couldn't have the cats inside uh and they weren't they weren't uh they weren't necessarily uh ready for the house they weren't ready for the for the house to kind of be uh let around like dogs. I didn't trust him. So with uh, having the, the cats, having the cats outside, we couldn't bring them inside because the dogs would just, they weren't around cats. They couldn't be around these stray cats. So we tried to, you know, built like a little, had a little like outdoor like thing for the cat to go in and stuff. And it was a stray cat. And like, you couldn't always like, capture it to try to bring it to the vet or anything like that it was a very it was a big mama crazy cat she had these kittens however you know hooked up with the local other local stray cat and had some kittens kittens were beautiful little kittens uh and like we were like yeah once they get old enough like we'd like to take one and bring the rest to you know be fostered somewhere right uh one morning and this is this is like cell phones were around but they weren't that big this is 2003 I came home from school and the entire, as soon as I stepped off the school bus, the entire area of my house smelled like a skunk. Oh, so I get there and there's like four cars in my thing. My mom's in the hospital getting rabies shots. So I was just like, I was like, what happened? I was like, what happened? So what happened was those little baby kittens. My mom would bring a little, little bit of like food and stuff out to them. And the mama every morning, so she went to go do it that morning and was like kind of doing stuff around the house. And she heard like the cat, like going nuts, the mama cat going nuts. She goes out this terrible story. She goes out there and there is a rabid skunk tearing up the kittens. Oh, and the mama is like fighting for everything that's in her to try to save her babies. Oh, my mom goes out there and plays superhero immediately there's like a little pantry on her side she immediately grabs cans of soup and starts chucking it at (laughs) at the skunk the skunk then grabs her leg and bites her on the motherfucking ankle whoa like and didn't just like sink its teeth in it like get a little gnaw on her oh my gosh so my mom then my mom then is trying to round up whatever kitten she can find and just stomp. She's trying to stomp out the skunk with her bare feet. Jeez, man. And my uncle had just pulled into the driveway and he was a hunter or whatever. And he it's upstate New York. Dude had a gun rack on his thing, pulled out his 22 and blew the fucking skunk away right on the front porch, right on the front patio. That's wild. So it was so like when your mom was treated for rabies, Oh, it's is brutal. It, it's brutal. Like shots in the belly. Long Dr. Seuss needle in the belly button. Ah, wait. So does it stay in your system forever? Like, how does that work? So there's it doesn't stay in your system forever. Okay. But she had to go get rabies shots, I think, for like six or eight weeks. She had to get uh, a That's shot a week for six to eight weeks. And they went in her belly button with a big old Dr. Seuss needle. 
She got all these extra pills and, and stuff. And because, I mean, if you, she was obviously attacked and, you know, they didn't want to test. They didn't want to test anything for rabies. I mean, they ended up testing the skunk. The game warden came and took the skunk. Uh, but they, you know, they didn't need to test her for rabies. They knew that like it was more likely, more than likely rabies. And it would make more sense to just administer and keep and do the rabies shots. Um, and later, right. you know, halfway through her treatment, they found, you know, a couple weeks later after the skunk was tested, he did test positive for rabies. And unfortunately, none of the cats survived. And it was awful. And that's oh my, my Stephen King ending to this <laughs> to this episode because it's so <laughs> brutal and terrible and it was awful and yeah r- rabies is is gnarly man it's terrible thankfully that's the only rabid animal story i had involved in my life yeah that's crazy that you have that story yeah so like I'm, I'm looking it up so it says rabies symptoms in humans so initial symptoms is headaches fevers fatigue and tingling of sight of exposure. So did your mom like experience that? Did she have headaches and fevers or no? Cause the... she was treated same day, like right away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She was treated same day. So, cause I think it incubates for a little bit before you are immediately start seeing any kind of symptoms. And luckily she was treated same day for her first rabies shot then. So it's crazy, man. Like, you know, there's been people who, you know, before medicine and things like that, that suffered from rabies, you know, was in a oh, similar yeah. situation as your mom. But like when it's not treated, you could have hallucinations, you could have insomnia, aggression, excessive um, salivation, light sensitivity, and then hydrophobia. You don't drink water. Yeah. So it just it ends up killing you. But that's insane, dude brutal like, it's a brutal i don't know disease yeah that's that's wild oh i have a bat story you want to hear this cool bat story definitely okay so <laughs> i'm in guatemala so i'm in guatemala and um i'm with my my high school we're doing some community projects down there we're working with this orphanage and um so we're down there and this is like one of our free nights. So we're in this like giant cave. It's a huge cage, not cage cave. So there's this huge cave in Guatemala and it's kind of like a museum. I think it's owned by, I don't know, the state or the, it's a national park or something like that. So the sun is about to set. Right. And our tour guide slash, you know, person we're, we're partnering with, knows one of the guys who runs that place. So we're there after hours. So the park has already closed and we're there as a group and we don't know much. So we're in, we're walking through the cave and it's a huge cave. Like it, it's not this like small cave. It, it, it's huge. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a museum where you can walk in and, and see, you know, different rocks and um, geologists go, goes in there. They, they go in there to study anyway. So we're out, there's like a couple entrances. So we're going out one of this entrance and Guatemala, it's this beautiful jungle. That's just most of the terrain of this country. So um, we're walking out and the sun is starting to, to set. It's like this orange, right? This orange sky and it's beautiful. You see the jungle and the jungle starting to come alive. Like you hear monkeys, you hear, you know, birds and parrots so our whole group, there's about like 12 of us. So we're, we're on this, like, we walk out of this cave into this kind of dirt kind of ledge area. We're seeing the sunset. We're like, oh, this this is beautiful. We get to see the sunset. And all of a sudden from behind us, our back is uh, towards the, ca- the opening of the cave. You just hear all of this, like, <sighs> and I kid you not. <laughs> Hundreds of bats are oh, flying yeah. out yeah. of the cave, and and the and they didn't tell us. Our leaders didn't tell us what was happening. They knew, right? And <laughs> so, like, we're like, oh my god, we just, you just, I, I, I just remember like standing there, and like, you just feel <laughs> the bat wings touching your the top of your head, touching Good your Lord. ear, and you're just like hundreds of them, right? And then. And we didn't know that this was happening. Like we didn't have it. So we're just like, I'm just, I have my eyes closed and I'm, my whole body's just tense. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are bats. And I don't want to move because I'm going to run into them, right? So I just, I don't move because, uh, you know, and, and the girls, there's girls on our team, they're screaming, <laughs> screaming. Oh! And then, you know, the leaders are just cracking up there because they're all dudes, right? I feel like, if, right, if, right. you know, if, if there's women that were part of this leadership team, they probably wouldn't have done that. So, uh, yeah, but the fact of just hearing hundreds of bats just like, fly past you and i just remember like one girl like grabbed my hand and she's like oh my gosh and i was like, <laughs> i was like ah like i was screwing too ah! i was like this is this is wild you know so that's my that's my bat story oh, i didn't God. get bit or anything but uh to be able to yeah, experience that, that something you see in a in movies all the time to be yeah. able to experience that is pretty intense and then, you know, I fell into a hole and then I found this cave and then I became a vigilante and, you know, I started to, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the Batman origin, not my origin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, but at least, you know, I, you should have but... just held your arms out and started doing the seal. No, dude, bats are nasty. They're bats are gnarly, disgusting. man. Bats are gnarly. They're I love like, I love bats, like the big flying foxes. Like I love those, but yeah, bats can be gnarly. My cousin Chris, who you know, I remember one time there was a bat that got caught on a windshield wiper of his dad's truck <laughs> and it died, right? My it God. got stuck and it, it uh and I remember we were like studying it and it was so freaking weird looking, man. Like to see up close and stuff and just to see its anatomy and its fangs and it was gross. Those things are disgusting. They're like hey, flying flying rats, dude. No, thank you. Bats are bats are great for for the for the or wor- earth then or though, but they eat so many terrible insects and That's true. And they eat like gnarly, disgusting spiders. Yeah, I, I see bats quite often. Um, I'm I'm kind of in Same. the foothills of, of LA, and uh, you always know when it's a bat because it's not a bird flies pretty gracefully in like a direction. Yeah, a bat just flies over. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah a lot well, of, a lot that of was bats a bat. here, So <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. What if you had to rate this movie, Max? Where are you, where are you sticking it? Are we doing the ready to retro rating? We can do the ready to retro rating. Let's do it. Okay. So I would give Cujo. It's hard because I feel like it's a good movie. I don't know if it's a great movie, just in my opinion, because I think a great movie would have more. I don't know. Let me think about it because I'm going to talk myself into this rating because it's better than good, right? Like it's better than solid. It's above a average. great movie, yeah. I would say it's above average, and a, and a great movie for me would be like character development, you know, execution, um, music, which all this this movie has all that. So yeah. as I'm thinking about it, I will give this a solid. Let's do eight point five bowls of cereal. Out of ten, nice. I like it. You know, yeah. I'm right there with you. I'm eight point five as well. I'm eight point five. Snotted, rabied, blood muzzle Saint Bernard, muzzled Saint Bernards. Uh <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and there's one thing I did want to mention, Jesse, is that you know these guys, the Vic and his partner, they're like, oh, you know, we're, we're ruined now because um, everyone's, you know pissing blood or whatever. I don't know what the cereal. Uh, the, the problem is it's the eighties and their spokesperson is not a cartoon. What are they doing? What are you doing? You know, you don't need a yeah. grown man selling kids cereal. Nope. We, not you need work. a cartoon. Like what, is, what is that? Even like when Mr. T had his own cereal or whatever, he was a cartoon. It wasn't the real Mr. T, you know, saying, oh, I'll pay the fool, you know, to eat the cereal. No, it was a cartoon selling it. You know, it wasn't Mr. Always. T, so. Perfect example. Yeah. Do you remember Vitamin King? Did you ever remember Vitamin King? Vitamin King. Vitamin it was like a yes. little. Yes. It was like a little yes. corn, like a corn meal type. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I loved Vitamin King, but they didn't put that. Not that I remember. They didn't put that dude in a commercial. They're like, hey, here, you old, like, uh, like you old dude, like with a crown, like go play the Burger King King and sell some corn cereal. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, Max, thanks for doing this. Please tell everyone what Ready to Retro is up to. Yeah, well, if you're not familiar with this, I just got to say, like, Jesse is pretty much our fourth person on our podcast. He's our fourth, you know, co-host. So I always appreciate Jesse because anytime I'm like, hey, I need I need a pinch hit, you know, I, I need someone to hit that DH. He's always there. So uh, appreciate you, Jesse, for just always being there in a pinch. I think it has been one time in the last four years that you're like, ah, oh, I can't. So the yeah, fact yeah. that you're just always available. So we call him the enforcer, but ready to retro were eighties, nineties and early two thousands pop culture podcast. So we celebrate those eras. We really, if you're a millennial, uh, come over to ready to retro right now, it is October. And usually we have a theme. It's a catchy theme. Jesse's been on this you know, in October a lot, September, uh, because of his genre loving self. But um, we usually have a catchy theme. This year we couldn't come up with a catchy theme. But what we are doing is we are reviewing 50s horror classics that were remade in the 80s. So we're talking about The Fly. We're talking about The Blob. And it's a lot of fun. So go over there at Ready to Retro. That's two as in the number so we're on social media you can follow us on all of your podcasting platforms of choice all that good stuff and we're not just you know we're actually not horror but you know we tend to september october be our spooky themed stuff but we also have a lot of power ranger stuff like we've talked earlier jesse's on a lot of we call them the zoo crew. So uh, Homer Bound, Free Willy, things like that. We have a episode with uh, Peter, you know, the uh, the kid that's in Homer Bound. So, um, yeah, go check us out. It's a lot of fun. And we love Heart God Media, Sight and Sound podcast presented by Heart God Media. And I always say that when he's on. So, yeah, it's always a mouthful. <laughs> which which I love. But, uh, yeah, thanks as always, Max. It, it was good to finally get you back on on this side of the uh, of the network. And, uh, sure. yeah, more to we're starting a a new vinyl slash movie series. But when we, we're going to start a new vinyl series where whatever new record you have, you can showcase it. And oh, that's talk- fun talk about it like quick little 30 minute episodes uh that we're going to start doing here soon i think once um november comes and kind of just showcasing a new vinyl or something that you that's awesome that you've been listening to so i'd love to have you on that because i know sure we talk about music as well i have to purge right now i'm at my first point of i need to purge through my my album collection like there's things i just don't need dude there's this neighbor who always gives me stuff and he's like the nicest guy. He's got like thousands of records, right? This guy from Taiwan. So he frequently travels to Taiwan and he brings me stuff, you know, That's and some awesome. stuff I'm like, this is cool. Like he gave me a, a Psych Furs uh, album from the 80s, original, like first pressing, still in the shrink wrap, never been opened. Uh, wow. You know, he gives me that stuff, but then he also gives me, you know, like, just things I'm never going to listen to. Right. Like just, I'm like, Eagle I don't Burn even know Humper what this Dink is. <laughs> like, <that. laughs> he gave me, a, he gave me like 50 like show tunes and, and this like stuff that like, but not like classic stuff. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. It's so I have a lot of show. that stuff. And he just tells me, he goes, don't get rid of these. These are great. These, and I feel bad. Right. Cause he's such a nice guy, but I'm like at a point now where I'm like, I have this record rack in my in my living room that can hold up to 500 right and and my wife is like hey i don't mind you collecting it's got to stay here you know this because my dad has my dad lives with us he has thousands of records in our garage yeah so you know like this this house can be a vinyl museum but anyways so i'm at uh, all to say is i'm finally at a place where i have to purge for the first time and really go through well do i want to keep that how did I get this? Can I sell it? So all that good stuff. So I'll probably, uh, I, I got to do that so I can have new vinyls. Yeah. Know, so. I, I did yeah. a purge. I did my first purge about 
three years ago during the summer of the pandemic, and I nice. cut my record collection in half. There you go. You got to do it. There's just stuff you're like, I don't need this anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. thanks again, Max. This is great. Um, We love every October we cover some Stephen King adaptations. So this year we are doing Cujo, this episode, and The Dark Half, directed by George nice. Romero. So getting into that, uh, we did Graveyard Shift last year, and sometimes they come back. Check those out. And uh, yeah, check out uh, Spooky September that Ready to Retro just did. And of course, now where they're doing uh, classic horror movies made in the 50s that have been remade in the 80s. And yeah, they're yep. doing The Fly and The Blob and what juggernauts to do. So absolutely. Check that out, Max. Thanks again. This has been Heart God Media's Sight and Sound podcast at Heart God Media on uh, Twitter or X, whatever the hell Elon calls it now. And of course, our mainstay Instagram, where there's mostly pictures and no one reads captions because they'll ask the questions <laughs> that are the answers are stated in the captions. So look at the pictures and we'll try to put everything in the pictures so you don't have to read those captions because we know how difficult that can be to read sometimes unless it's not in a bright font in your face on the picture. So right. thank you, thank you, thank you. Check it out. Heartguide Media's Sight and Sound Podcast. Uh, this has been Max from Ready to Retro. Thank you, and we will see you for the dark half. Later, everyone.